Sport Insights with Imagio. My name's Bridget Lacey, and as always, I'm joined by Imagio Group Managing Director Sam Maxwell. Episode two, and this week we're talking about uh, a subject that's always a big issue in sport, that being drugs in sport. Uh, So many uh, issues come up during a year. We had, of course, uh, at the Swimming World Champs this year, we had Mac Horton being quite outspoken about Sun Yang, his great rival. And then, of course, uh, Shana Jack tested positive um, out of the Aussie camp. So that created huge waves. Um, Sun Yang is an ongoing issue um, being taken to court at the moment, appealing, uh, uh, water appealing, um, him getting off, breaking some vials. Um, so they're big issues. But there was one here um, in Australia that really caught people's imagination, and that was Willie Rioli um, allegedly tampering with a sample, um, in, uh, which kept him out of AFL finals, of course, this season and probably much more but that sort of raised with us Sam didn't it um, the issue of how much little people seem to know about drugs in sport and, and what actually goes on obviously as a Magia group managing director you've been dealing with this for a long time that's right and I think there are I mean we use the Willy Rioli example it brought up so many different but also complex issues of um of, of drugs in sport as it um, as it stands today, you know we you have the illicit substances, um, you have in competition tests, out of competition tests, um, what each of them mean, um, the governing bodies, obviously the different sports have uh, have their own have their own rules and, and regulations, um, obviously USADA um, and then WADA on top of that. So there are so many different um, yeah layers, and I think. That as, as we're unpacking it for, for this podcast, that it you know it's going to stretch into you know into multiple episodes. Um, there's there's not something that we can you know really just rattle off and 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 explain in in 25 or, or 30 minutes. Uh, there's there's a number of issues, and hopefully that we can you know unpack them and, and explain them to the layperson because as you, as you said, you know this, this is something that that we deal with and our athletes deal with um, on a on a daily basis, and they they have to be educated. Um, to, uh, to to comply with the to comply with the regulations. So yeah, that I guess Willie captured the imagination, didn't he? Because he he plays a sport that so many people love in this country, but sometimes people can be quite ignorant to what other athletes are put through um, without perhaps the support around a, a team environment. So we were in, really interested to to get the thoughts of someone who's experienced it over a long period of time and. We thought none better than one of the greatest athletes we've ever produced in this country, Sam, someone you had a bit to do with over her career in Alana Boyd. Yeah, Alana Boyd, um, Australian pole vaulter, uh, originally spent a lot of time in Queensland. She moved to Perth uh, in 2009 after the, after the Beijing Olympics. She's a, she's a three-time, three-time Olympian, a dual Commonwealth Games gold medalist, um, and is the current Australian pole vault record holder. Um, she's someone who um, has always been incredibly respected by her by her peers overseas, but also um, in Australia in the um, in the athletics world. And yeah, as you said, Bridget, that for her her insight of of how she dealt with um, how she dealt with 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 the drug tests um, over the course of her career um, after she retired in after the uh, Rio Games in in, in twenty sixteen. 
is um, really interesting. It is a fascinating chat and we won't keep you any longer. Here's Alana Boyd. Okay, Alana, well, thanks so much uh, for chatting to us. Of course, you retired back in 2016. Um, and I'm guessing one of the things you don't miss is, is the drug testing. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely one of the things that when I did retire, I thought, oh, yay, I can take myself off the whereabouts list and not have to be subject to a, a drug test at 6 a.m. in the morning, um, which is just what anybody wants. So, yeah, it's certainly something that, um, you know, there's a lot of things about the sport that I that I do miss, but that's certainly not one of them. <laughs> can you remember your very first test? Oh... Um, it was an in-competition test. Um, I can't remember exactly where, um, but it was it was at a, a competition in Australia, um, and you know after a, a, one of the meets in Sydney or Melbourne or whatnot. And um, yeah, like I remember being quite nervous for it because obviously it's quite, um, I guess, invasive in that you have to have. Um, someone looking at you um, make the sample so um, you know sometimes you do get a little bit stage fright I guess and um, mm. you just have to kind of um, you know make sure that you you really need to actually um, you know go to the loo and and um, get it done as quick as possible it, it is a necessary part of the sport and something that um, you know I obviously think is important to make sure that we can keep the sport as clean as possible so you, you kind of just take it for what it is and um yeah get it done as quick as possible <laughs> do you know how old you would have been for that that first time or? um i would have been i kind of i didn't actually start pole vaulting until i was 18 so um it would have been probably early 20s um so i i know that there's a lot of other athletes that are subject to drug testing and whatnot um you know when they're still in their teenage years as as junior elite level athletes and um, I, I can imagine for them it's even more um, you know daunting to, to um, go and have to do that. And um, you did mention it briefly there but can, can you just describe for us what it's like inside the room when, when the test gets done? Yeah, well, normally um, it's um, completed in a you know disabled or level access bathroom, so that there's enough room for um, the the tester to to stand a few meters away. Um, basically, you have to um, pull your your top up to above your kind of belly button area and your pants down to your knees, so that that whole area is visible. And um, basically, it's just like um, you know you you know, we into a cup, um, they have to see the sample come from you um, so that there's no uh, question as to, you know, if, if you're, you're hiding someone else's sample and, and that and that sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, they witness the sample and then you have to, um, you know, seal the jar and then you are then taken back to usually another OSADA representative or, or representative um, that then um, you, with their assistance, uh, you know, divide the sample into an A and a B bottle, um, you know, do all the appropriate paperwork and make sure that you're happy with the way that the sample has been collected um, for them to go off uh, to be tested. And can you quantify how many times you would have done that over the years? I mean, triple Olympian and and uh, a couple of Commonwealth Games gold medals as well as the Australian record. I'm assuming the testers would have come your way plenty of times over that period. Yeah, um, I, I did have... Oh, to be honest, I probably I wouldn't 
even be able to guess how many tests they had. Um, I didn't actually go on the, the whereabouts testing list probably until I think it was around 2010, maybe um, around when I won my first gold medal at the Commonwealth Games. And um, so therefore then I was subject to out-of-competition testing where um, a fighter can rock up at your door during the hour that you specify and test you if they wish. Um, and obviously then competing overseas, I was subject to tests over there as well. So uh, numerous, um, <laughs> lots and lots. I think more when I lived um, in Brisbane uh, and I, I was probably subject to more whereabouts testing in Brisbane um, compared to when I moved back to the coast in the last couple of years of my career, um, which to me seems a little bit odd because I probably had the best years of my career in the last two years, yet I probably had the least testing that I had ever had. Um, maybe because it was I lived in a regional area and my testing time usually I put was between 6 and 7 a.m. in the morning so that I knew that I was going to be home. They'd just have to wake me up. Um, and maybe the testers had to come from Brisbane and it was a bit of an early start for them. But I, I honestly <laughs> seemed to get tested a lot more when I lived in in Morningside, like pretty much in the centre of Brisbane where it was obviously, oh, we need to we need to test someone. <laughs> mm. Alana, it's just around the corner. So, I mean, I think that that might be a little bit of a, um, a skew in terms of, you know, they, they have to test a certain number of people, but they should be getting a... a good cross section I guess of particularly those out of competition tests um, but yeah I had numerous tests and like I said by the end you just kind of on autopilot go in get it done and you're out within 10 minutes um, including the paperwork so um, yeah so the, so the testers go for convenience as well by the sounds of things, Lana. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't want to create any controversy, but I, like it has been something that other athletes have said in the past, um, and, and it was obvious to me. I moved up the Sunshine Coast uh, after the 2014 Commonwealth Games, so for 15 and 16 and, you know, half of 14, I was... Um, I was on the Sunshine Coast and I don't actually know if I got a whereabouts test. They rocked up at the track one day, um, but I don't think they ever actually came to my house here, um, which to me seemed odd because I would probably get one a month when I lived in Brisbane. So it was, um, yeah, a little bit a little bit strange in that, in that respect. So you mentioned you had numerous over the years. It, it sounded like quite a confronting scenario for for non-athletes to think about uh, being in that room. Do, do you ever get used to it over that period of time? Yeah, you do get used to it. Um, it it is something that um, you know you yeah <laughs> like they the drug testers you begin to realise that they do that as their job and you know it's nothing that they haven't seen before mm. either so um it's kind of um you know you don't want to spend any more time in the drug testing room than you have to um i remember after the rio um olympics i was tested i obviously finished fourth um which was a bit painful in that i jumped the same as third and missed the medal but mm. um I remember I was a bit, obviously, uh, the competition adrenaline and whatnot and a little bit dehydrated, so I actually had to drink a fair amount of, um, you know, liquid and whatnot to kind of make myself need to 
to use the toilet um, and and have the drug test done. But at the same time, you've also got to make sure that you don't dilute your sample too much, so that because they they test the pH level of it um, when when they bottle it up to make sure that they can get the appropriate readings that they need from it. And if it's too, if you're too hydrated, um, you have to do it again. So you kind of have to make sure you drink enough, but um, also sometimes just sit out and um, take that time to, to to need to go and then um, and then go and do the sample. So yeah. Can you remember the longest it took you to produce a sample? Or was it always? Oh early? yeah, I had a, I had a day in Perth when I lived in Perth. Um, I remember. It was a. I think it was after a, a running session, um, and I was. It was super hot. I was obviously really dehydrated, and um, I, you know, drank water. But I also just. <laughs> I think I just had real um, stage fright and was just like, I don't know. I just couldn't couldn't produce a sample. It probably took me about 45 minutes of actually like initially trying to do the sample and then I'd have a break and then you know the um the lady would turn on the water to you know the trickling water and make you the toilet and um you know that sort of thing and um yeah I think it was just more that I just didn't really need to go and I was just forcing something and I also had that little bit of little bit of oh someone's watching me right now this is weird so um yeah a combination of a few things but um it's uh yeah it i think the hydration thing um you know was a big thing that it just makes it easy if you need to go you need to go and they follow you around don't they if you still if you have somewhere you have to be they'll follow Mm, you wherever you go is that right yeah, yeah, they actually came to my house um, when I was living in Perth for a whereabouts test one day, and um, I had a physio appointment, and I and they they come in pairs. So there's always um, if you're a female athlete, there's a female um, person that watches you do the sample, and then there might be a male or a female um, other like kind of more senior person that. Um, bottles up the sample and whatnot so there was always two of them and um this particular day i was i had my hour window and pretty much after that i had to leave to go to the physio and i couldn't like they came towards the end of the hour i didn't i'd literally just gone to the toilet i didn't kind of need to go right then and there and they had to follow me to the physio (laughs) so the woman actually traveled in my car with me and then um the other tester followed in his car behind and then I had physio and then by then I was drinking water and whatnot and by the end of the half an hour physio session I was able to produce a sample and I, I did it at the at the physio so um yeah <laughs> that was um an interesting time but um I suppose they, they get that from time to time and and if you have to be somewhere and um it's outside of your hour um at that point then um that's what they have to do so getting on the whereabouts list is that all to do with results so if you get to a certain level then um, then you're on it. Yeah, I I believe so. Um, I'm not sure if it's like a um, if you make an Australian team, um, you you definitely go on it. Or from in my case, it it wasn't because I'd made an Australian team um, 2007 eight nine. I didn't compete, and I don't actually even think. I'm just trying to think from memory. I don't think I actually went on to the whereabouts list until after the Commonwealth Games in 2010, so it must have been 2011. So um, I, I don't know what the criteria is now. Um, I don't even know what it was then, but I was obviously an Australian representative and I wasn't necessarily on the list, so it may have had had to do with um, 
rapid rise. It may have had to do with um, your placing at a World Championships, Olympics, Commonwealth Games, whatever. Mm. Uh, I don't know. But, yeah, it's usually um, the elite, um, you know, Australian, at least Australian representatives that um, go on to that whereabouts um, testing list. So whenever you went away from home, you had to let them know where you were going to be, etc.? Yeah, so um, basically you, I think it was every quarter you had to submit um, kind of for the next quarter um, where you were going to be for an hour window every day, which obviously, (laughs) you know, changes potentially daily. Um, Sometimes you don't know that you you might be travelling somewhere else or or whatever, but you have to put something in initially and then you can um, go online and and change it up to, I think it was midnight the night before the actual day. Um, And the the whereabouts time was anywhere between 6am and maybe 7pm or 8pm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, But there were times, honestly, when I forgot and Mm. I, you know, was not at my house in that time period like I was supposed to. Um, Luckily for me, I never had a missed test, um, but it is something that is... It can be very innocent and Mm. something that can happen from time to time. I know a number of athletes that have had missed tests and it's not anything to do with trying to avoid drug testers. It's just purely a mistake because it is, um, you know, easy enough to do. Mm. Um, but at the same time, that's why there is a, I think it's three, three missed tests in a, you know, 12-month period maybe, and don't quote me on that, um, that, like, they have a grace so that, you know, that's what they understand that that sort of thing can and does happen. Um, and, yeah, obviously if it goes any more than that, then potentially that's a red flag that someone is trying to avoid um, drug testing for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, it is something that you do have to keep on top of and, um, you know, make sure that, you know, sometimes plans can change. You can be, particularly when you're competing in Europe as well, and you have to get the address of where you're staying in advance. And then, or if you don't, you get to the meet hotel at, you know, 5 p.m. at night, and you've just been travelling for half the day, and you're shattered, and then you forget that, oh, I've got to actually put the address in for my whereabouts in the morning. It's easy enough to to um, to forget and, and, you know, unfortunately then sometimes that can result in a missed test. And did you know during competition, would you kind of know, oh, yeah, I'm going to be tested after this, depending on how you did? Because I remember seeing, for example, Kate Campbell at at some comps when she'd be sort of breaking records when she was swimming. You could see her rolling her eyes thinking, yep, the test is coming my way. (laughs) Yeah, um, most of the time, like at major championships, um, they always test uh, gold, silver, bronze, and then... A random um, in the next, like if there's 12 in the final, for instance, in my event, they might test um, three other of the top top 12 or the top the rest of the, the remaining nine. Um, it might be fourth, seventh, and twelfth or something like that. I think in London, actually, I finished eleventh and I got tested. Oh. So um, they just randomly pick them as well as obviously the medalists um, at. Uh, Australian competitions around the country quite often they would test your first place at you know a, a meet in Sydney or, or one of the Grand Prix meets or whatever 
um, but not necessarily, but most of the time. Um, and then um, I guess quite often if you're breaking Australian records and, and jumping really well or, or competing really well, um, they may single you out to um, do more whereabouts testing during that time as well. Mm. So. Yeah, and and also normally um, if you were going overseas, because obviously you'd put your whereabouts that you were going to be in Germany or wherever from a certain date, um, and usually they knew that you know most athletes would be travelling you know over to Europe or whatever for competitions in June, July. Um, you would almost always get tested um, prior to leaving Australia, because obviously it's important that um, you know Australian sport doesn't want our athletes to go overseas, doesn't want to be have negative tests anyway, but especially doesn't want our athletes to go overseas, competing overseas, and then potentially return and, um, you know, a, a positive test over there. Um, so they want to make sure that their athletes are um, clean going over to compete before the major. Absolutely. And education-wise, I'm assuming there was a lot of that over your career. Were you in, Was it ever vague... Or were you ever, you know, confused about any part of the process in terms of what you what you were allowed to take and, and, and I guess the testing pro- process? Or was it all always pretty clear from your perspective? Yeah, it was. Um, well, I thought it was really clear. Um, it probably got um, more clear and the education was, um, I guess, more drum, drummed in towards the end of my career than it was, you know, um, at the beginning. Um, you know, I, I think that they... Obviously, online um, tools and that sort of thing. Um, every year, you have to complete like an ASADA, um, not induction. That's not the right word, but um, like a an information thing, to, like a refresher type thing, to make sure that you were aware of all the rules and that sort of thing. And um, they very much drummed into you that no supplement is. Um, 100% okay to take um, and they would always advise against it um, I was quite vigilant in I remember coming back from the World Championships in 2015 and um, I got a from China I got a I don't know stomach gastro type bug and went actually had to go to emergency because I couldn't stop vomiting when we got a few days after we got back and when I was in emergency, you know, all I wanted was for him to give me something to stop, to make it stop. I was like, can I, can you tell me the name of the drug? And he's like, oh, it's so-and-so. And I said, can you please write it down? I need to check. And he just looked at me like, I said, oh, look, I'm an athlete. I need to make sure that it's okay for me to take. Um, and and he, I think, just thought I was being over the top. Oh, yeah, you're an athlete, whatever. Mm. And anyway, finally gave me the name and the drug and I, checked and it was completely fine to take and I was like yeah that's fine um yeah so I was definitely probably over the top but at the same time I don't think it was over the top because the last thing you would want Mm. is to return a test that came back positive for something that you inadvertently took or you know were taken you know were, were administered um and potentially you know, it could have been avoided um, and it wasn't performance enhancing. Um, so, yeah, I was definitely vigilant in that respect and the education from ASADA um, always, you know, encouraged athletes to be that way. And I guess that's one thing people maybe don't realise as well in the general public is like if an athlete has a cold or something like that, they can't take cold and flu tablets and, you know, all of that sort of stuff that we perhaps don't realise. 
Yeah, it, and that was really a really big thing. I think um, cold and flu tablets like with pseudoephedrine, oh, I, I, and again, <laughs> quote me on this, but I think at one point it was okay to take out of competition, as in if you were tested, um, you know, uh, uh, more than two weeks out from a competition and it was in your system, it was okay. Um, but then they also banned it in um, out of competition and in competition. So it, it has changed a couple of times, I believe, over the years. And so it does become a bit confusing for athletes. But at the same time, it was always a drug for me that I never took um, because I just... I don't know, it was just like, oh, no, pseudoephedrine, you know, cold and flu tablets, you do hear of stories of athletes saying that they'd taken them and then obviously returned a, a positive test, so I just avoided them. And now it's funny that I'm not an athlete. I still have that, almost that um, feeling straight away. I'm like, oh, I feel awful. And my husband says, oh, take take these. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't. Oh, yep, okay, I can. I'm fine now. <laughs> it just becomes a habit over the years, so... <laughs> Yeah. So what goes through your mind when you see, I guess, stories that we've seen, I guess, the last few years, particularly from the football code AFL, where I guess you hear a little bit of whinging maybe from, from, from AFL circles that, you know, the drug code's not fair and it's too harsh and all that sort of stuff. As a, as a former athlete and given what you went through in your career, what, what sort of do you think about all of that? Well, I mean, I believe that, um, there should be a level playing field and that there shouldn't be any drugs in sport. Um, I believe that, you know, you can do all the one percenters in terms of, you know, diet, nutrition, um, you know, recovery and that sort of thing that I guess you can look at as well and, you know, potentially they are performance enhancing but they're legal performance enhancing. They're putting compression tights on so that your legs recover quickly and that sort of thing. Um you know, and so people that um, argue that potentially the, um, you know, what drugs you can and can't take as an athlete might be too rigid, um, you know, maybe that's why they think that um, because there's little bits of, thing, you know, uh, drugs that they can use to to aid in performance, aid in recovery. Um, but the problem is, I guess, nowadays in particular, sport is all, pretty much all sport is professional, so there's money involved um, and there's um, people that don't really care about whether or not they're taking drugs. They care about what money or what fame or what fortune they can make out of um, their performance, their team, their um, as an individual or whatnot because there's, there's money involved. It's professional. So it makes it harder because people are, I guess, more willing to do things that perhaps they wouldn't have normally. Um, so it, it is hard. Um, the drug testers and, um, you know, WADA, ASADA, they have a job that I don't think you're ever going to eradicate drugs from sport in general ever um, because people are always going to be that little bit step step ahead of the drug testers who then find tests to test for those drugs, these new drugs that people are using. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, the more that they can test, the more that they um, do test and they're visible and they're out there doing that and educating people, um, you know, <laughs> the cleaner the sport is going to be. Um, unfortunately, as an elite athlete, you are always competing against drugged athletes. And if you really thought about it too much, um, 
you could get really upset about it because there, you know, you hear a lot of athletes say that, you know, I was robbed, I got a silver medal at the Olympics and I was robbed of that gold medal because so-and-so had a previous drug test but was back in the sport at that time. Um, it's the same for the person who missed the final and, you know, I, I believe, you know, if you finish 13th and miss that final to get into, you know, the Pobot final at the Olympic Games, if you're in that final, you're a chance of a medal. Um, and they never got that chance because there was one or two drugged athletes that were in that final. So it, it is a flow and effect. It's not just the silver medalists or the fourth place that missed out on that gold medal or that bronze medal. It's the ones down the track. And that also flows on to... Um, you know, money, um, and and also just the fact that you know it's that motivation to keep going as well. Some people just think, oh, well, what's the point? I'm competing against drug athletes. I'm not prepared to take drugs, and um, you know, like I'm doing as well as I can um, on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I always did the sport because I loved it, and I wanted to be the best athlete that I can be. And you can only control what you can do, um, and compete against um, the athletes that are there, whether they're clean or not. And um, I think if you, like I said, if you think about it too much, you do your head in. So i um, just got to get, get out there and enjoy it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you did us proud over a long period of time, but in, enjoying your, your retirement, Alana? Yeah, I am. Um, it's really good. I've um, actually got a little daughter who's oh, just over one now and I'm actually um, got a little bit of news that I'm pregnant again and got another little girl on the oh, way fantastic. as well. So it'll be a, a busy year next year, but um, yeah, definitely loving the change in life. And um, yeah, it's, it's totally different to what I used to do and I definitely don't you know, do the travel and, and all of that sort of thing that I, I used to do. But um, at the same time, I was really ready to move into the next phase of my life and, um, yeah, loving it. So can't complain. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Alana. No worries. Thanks very much, Bridget. A really interesting and informative chat there, Bridget. Um, what did you take away from it? Well, as we've discussed before, I mean, we've we've been around sport for so long, we feel like we're well informed on these issues, but when you hear someone like Alana talk, you do learn more and more each time. Um, so I was fascinated by, um, I guess, the way you get onto a list where you're all of a sudden your whereabouts needs to be known at all times. I found that part of it really interesting and the process you have to go through there and, and her admission that, you know, it is very easy to slip up in that regard. I mean, I think she was, from what you heard, she was incredibly strict on herself um, with, with all this stuff, but even she, um, so vigilant, could every now and then forget to, to let them know exactly where she was going to be. So I think there's there's that understanding of, of you know, it is it is a difficult process, but people like Alana believe it's important and, and that, you know, you need to follow it by the letter of the law. You're right, and, and this issue that, that we deal with, you know, daily with, um, you know, it's different with every sport, you know, we and I think it's important we'll, we'll get an insight maybe in, over the next you know, week or so from some of our tennis players and, and cyclists who, who, who they deal with it and how they you know, have to lodge their whereabouts when, when they're playing um, you know, different tournaments you know, every week and, and they need to that, lodge that, that one-hour window every day where, where they know they're going to be. Um, and the drug testers, they, they turn up and it's, um, it's part of the regulations and, and they need to know and um, they need to deal with it. Because I guess when I first heard 
um, some people sort of saying that Willie Rowley had been struggling to, to produce the urine sample and got sort of frustrated. That was one of the stories that has come out since. We don't know the truth of any of these stories just yet. I kind of thought to myself, oh, really? You know, but then you hear, you know, from the athletes and actually, yeah, you know, it can happen. I can get, I can get seriously di- dehydrated and I can get stage fright as well. I found that, that part of it interesting, interesting too. And you're right. I and mean, the thing is that as athletes, they, they know that that happens and you just have to deal with it. Um, there, there, there are no nobody really makes any apologies um, for for that. You know, we we want we want sport, we want elite sport to be clean, and and that is that is part of it. And and athletes know that, yeah. Sometimes it it does take a little bit longer to uh, to, to produce a sample. Absolutely, um, but um, overall, a really fantastic insight mm. from Alana, and what a wonderful career and statesman she was for our nation. Um, we miss her, don't we? We do, yeah. And as you said, at the end, you know, she's uh, she's you know happily you know happily married with uh, yeah with uh, I think Matilda is uh, her a uh, one year just over one and yeah exciting news that she's um, she's pregnant with uh, with number two. Brilliant. Well, we uh, we look forward to, to chatting more about this issue next week, Sam. We're, we're going to have a few more insights, as you said, from a couple of different sports and and the different ways it works there. But we think there's there's plenty more to discuss in this in this subject. Look forward to yeah, unpacking those and, uh, and more come early next week.